All right, episode one of the Businesses of Venture podcast. We felt like it would probably make a lot of sense to introduce ourselves so you're not just diving into this thing and being like, who the heck are these people? So, Angie, who are you? Yeah. (laughs) Well, my name is Angie Nelson, and I am a photographer and entrepreneur on the island of Maui. I'm originally a Midwest girl, moved here in 2009, and uh, grown two businesses in that time, working on a third with you, Dave. And yeah, I love I love all things Hawaii and Midwest, so I'm like, I'm like half and half here, but making it work and enjoying this business uh, as it grows and develops, especially during this weird time that we're living in right now. How did you start in photography? Well, I moved here. When I moved here in 2009, I was originally moving here to be a teacher. Uh, my husband got offered a job, and I just thought, yeah, like, let's go, to, let's go to Maui for a year. I mean, like, Maui calls, you pick up the phone, right? Like, let's go to Maui for a year. We'll have this great adventure. Uh, they're desperate for teachers out here. Let's do this. So uh, we packed up our bags, and we left on this one-year adventure, and um, it's now turned into 11 years because <laughs> one year wasn't quite enough here. But yeah, like I got, I got hired at a local high school. I taught there for four years. So it was 2010 to 2014. But in the midst of that, I kind of figured out that living on a teacher's salary in Hawaii is damn near impossible. So I needed to figure out another way to get some income. I always liked taking photos. I feel like this is how everybody's story starts. I took a photography class in high school or at summer camp and I loved it. I mean, same sort of thing there. But I was like, you know, I live in this really pretty place. So to start, you know, start taking some photos. I had a I had a um a Nikon DSLR. It wasn't not it was not a, a full frame, it was a crop sensor. But I started taking photos and um realized kind of quick that if I wanted if I wanted to make some extra money with this, I needed to invest in the right equipment. So I saved for a few months, I got a full frame, started taking some pictures, used aperture priority <laughs> the whole time. Um, and then started advertising on Craigslist. And, you know, from there I got a website and um, I invested in a CRM pretty quickly. And before I knew it, I was booking almost every night during the week. So when I wasn't teaching, so I would teach during the day and then I was either paddling. So I competitively paddled outrigger canoes for six or seven years or something like that. When I wasn't paddling, I was doing photo sessions. And then... um how I made the transition was we had this professional development day in 2013. We were in the library with all the other teachers and it was like an eight hour day where we had to take data from one specific test and like write up goals and divide students into subgroups. And it was like a 10 page document when all said and done that I typed up. And I was like, I don't even think anyone's going to read this. We're just jumping through hoops that the state's making us jump through. And I was so frustrated and I came home after this long day and I sat down in my office and I just, <laughs> I ran all the numbers. I said, okay, if I want to make exactly how much I make teaching, how many photo sessions do I have to do in a week? And at that time, at my price point, I only had to do two photo sessions a week to make the same amount I would teaching. And that was the nail in the coffin for me. <laughs> so I left the end of that school year and I have not looked back since. That was my story. <laughs> I mean, I never, I never thought I would be a photographer. I never thought I'd be a business owner. I was just going to, you know, I was going to have like 
two and a half kids and a dog and a white picket fence and live in Michigan my whole life and be a teacher and that was going to be it. But, you know, when doors open, I feel like you're doing yourself a disservice if you're not going to walk through them. Mm-hmm. What about you, Dave? What about me? I'm boring. Um... <laughs> I mean, that story was kind of boring. I was like, I became a photographer. I feel like there's a lot of people who have a story just like mine. Oh, yeah. I mean, most photographers I talk to have very similar stories. Like for me, I was an engineer who became a photographer. I didn't want to be an engineer. Uh, I grew up wanting to either be an archaeologist or a photographer because I read a lot of my dad's Nat Geo's. And I'm like, well, clearly both of those jobs sound awesome because I knew nothing about the actual jobs themselves. You know, it's just like, oh, I get to go to like Borneo and dig in the mud or take photos or do what. Yeah, exactly. It sounded amazing. And then when it came time to leave high school, I mean... Keep in mind, I grew up wanting to be a photographer, never had a camera, like never took photos, never did anything else like that. But I'm like, I'm going to be a war photographer, but ne- just never thought of putting two and two together and getting a camera. I can't imagine you do- being a war photographer, like you in the trenches and like <laughs> chaos and you're just so like even keel. <laughs> That's why I'd be so good at it. I, mean, I don't get that, stressed. That can be true. That can be true. But yeah, so like I was I was finishing up high school and I was like, okay, I'm going to take a gap year and then I think I want to go into ACAD, which is the Alberta College of Art and Design and, and take a photography program. I think that would be really fun. But I was looking at like what was required and it's like, oh, you need to have a portfolio and you need to have all this. I'm like, oh, I guess I better get a camera. <laughs> um, so I, again, knew nothing about cameras. This was right at the cusp of, of the digital era. I graduated high school in 99. And so I bought a Nikon Coolpix 995 point and shoot. Like, yeah, just it was just it was a 1.2 megapixel camera, which at the time was insane. Like you just <laughs> couldn't get cameras like that. Uh, but I had saved up my money from my, my job and, and got that camera and started taking photos. And I was like, oh, yeah, I actually really like this. Um, and then my dad was like, like, hell, you're going to school for photography. You're going to go to school and get like an actual real person job and make money. <laughs> I mean, they they didn't pressure me into it. My parents are pretty chill, but like it made me think about it for a while. And I'm like, OK, well, you know, I've always been into computers, so I'll just go into a computer engineering program. It'll be fine, whatever. And then I'll just take photos on the side. And so I did that. I kept shooting. I did a lot of street work. I did portraiture, all of these different things, and then got a a job as an engineer and I worked as a computer engineer for 12 years and kept taking photos throughout that entire thing. I remember one trip must have been like 2005 or 2006. So at this point in time, I've been taking photos for six years, but all on that point and shoot, like still didn't have like an SLR or anything else like that. And then I finally bought an SLR and I was just like, the fuck is an aperture? I I don't know any of these things. Like yeah. I point the camera and it takes a picture. Aperture priority, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> so I literally I bought like a beginner's guide to SLR photography, and I took a, a solo road trip down um, the Pacific Coast Highway in the states. So I drove from here out to Vancouver, Canada, and then drove down to LA and back. And the whole way, I'm like, okay, like had a couple of lenses, had an SLR for the first time what like Nikon D300 or something. So like crop sensor, but had like a 1.4 lens and stuff. So I'm like, okay, oh, this is what aperture is and learning the the exposure triangle and all the rest of this. And I'm like, okay, now I really like this thing because now my photos look like the photos I always liked. Like I could never get them there. Yeah. And then my sister was getting married in the Dominican Republic and asked if I could photograph her wedding because they didn't want to pay for the resort photographer. 
and they didn't really care about photos. So they're like, even if you get three photos, like, great, no problem. <laughs> just set the bar real low for you. <laughs> yeah, super, super low. Yeah. And so it was like, it was super no stress and everything else. And, and so I shot that whole day. And I was like, oh, this was stressful, but fun. Because the bar was low, you know, I only had to get a couple of photos. So I was able to like push myself a little bit. Did my first portrait session ever with my sister and brother-in-law not knowing anything about posing. I'm like, I don't want to go stand in those flowers. Stand um, next to this tree. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then I came home and a high school friend had saw my sister's photos on Facebook. And she was like, hey, so we're having a photographer. We're hiring a photographer just for our portraits. Um, we couldn't afford him for the rest of the day. Would you mind coming for the getting ready and the ceremony and the reception? I'm like, sure. And she's like, I can't really afford much, but like, I'll give you like a hundred bucks. I'm like, great getting paid and so another engineer friend of mine had a camera as well same camera i'm like hey do you want to come shoot this with me because he was like a hobbyist photographer and we shot it together and she liked the photos so much she gave me 800 dollars. i was like 800 bucks for a day of work <laughs> okay because keep in mind like i barely edited these things like i had right. aperture at the time because i didn't even know lightroom existed and, and basically just like made sure the exposure was fine didn't crop anything didn't dodge and burn like nothing like that but i got a hundred bucks for it and then two months after that i met abby and abby was shooting weddings she was a way better photographer than my me she had gone to art school she shoots like just crazy uh, self-portraits and stuff like that and three months after we started dating we started our photography company and just like you never like planned to be a wedding photographer or even really a photographer after I went into engineering school. And then it was just sort of like fast succession from that point in time to, you know, she, her company was closing up shop and was going to lay her off. And I was still doing good with the engineering. So I'm like, don't take another job, like make a run at this. Even if it's just you, you like it, go full time. And then it just got busier and busier and busier. And then I, I crunched the numbers and said, okay, like, what would I need to feel secure if I left my, my engineering job? I had talked to another photographer from Australia and he said when he quit his IT job, he saved up six months worth of salary so that if they have a slow time, they don't have to panic. They don't have to like try to take on everything or whatever. It's like they have six months to live to like get their business in order or whatever. And so that's what we did. We saved up six months of salary and then took the plunge well basically my boss told me to quit he's like you're you're not here anymore like you're at work working on your photography website or you're at work like editing photos <laughs> you should probably yeah i also got all my work done like oh, i was just, right. a really you're just efficient really efficient engineer, but i'm just like i just didn't care about that job i wanted to work on the photography so he was just like you, you should probably just go like i'm not gonna fire you but your your heart's not in it anymore so shit or get off the pot and so i took that that was 2013 now here we are, 2020. Seven years later. But then, so, I mean, you and Abby have been doing wedding photography for that long, right? And then... 12, 12 years, yeah. And then there's been another evolution in your career, which is business coaching. So mm -hmm. how did that come to fruition? Was that something you ever planned on doing? Or are you just going to be a wedding photographer forever or the end? Uh, I think it was going to be be a wedding photographer until our bodies gave out. <laughs> 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 and then panic and scramble and figure out what to do with our lives. But it was around 2015. Yeah, the year after we got married, Abby was starting to cool on wedding photography. She was starting, it was not like the thing that she absolutely loved to do anymore. She still loved being a photographer, but weddings just 
were wearing her out. And so we were starting to think, okay, well, like, what do we do? Like, if, if it's not this, like, do I go back into engineering? Do I like re-up my credentials and take some tests and whatever and, and go back into that? I'm like, I don't want to be at a desk in an in a cubicle anymore. Like that's just not who I am after this many years of, of entrepreneurship. And so I hummed and hawed and hummed and hawed and then met, we went out for dinner with um, two friends and uh, Catherine was a life coach. And I was like, Oh, like I'd heard the term, but I'd always heard the term as like those top knot guys on Instagram were life coaches, you know, like it wasn't actually like a real job. Like man bun like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like just, just, just guys who smell of patchouli and have a man bun and they say that they're a life coach. And you're like, I don't even have hair on my head. (laughs) Exactly. I had hair then. Not not enough to have a man bun. (laughs) Um, But I was just like, okay. So I started talking to her and like, this was a woman who charged $30,000 a client. Um, She worked specifically with women executives. Um, That was her, her shtick. And so I'm like, man, like 30 grand a client. She's like, yeah, take five clients on a year. And that's enough for me. And I'm like, okay, all right, maybe there's something to this. And so I asked her about her program that she took and training and everything else. And then probably forgot it all because we drank a lot of meat and everything was out the, out of my brain. Um, and then two weeks after that, we went to do uh, an engagement session for a couple in a mountain town about uh, seven hours west of here. And they were selling their house and moving to Italy and getting married there because they had both quit their jobs and were full-time life coaches and they could do it on the internet. So they could go in front of I'm just like, okay, like twice, twice in, in two weeks, this has come up. And like at, at, right after we left the shoot, Abby's like, you should do that. All you do is help people. Like that's like, it was at this, like earlier that year, a friend of mine had bought me the domain helpful guy on the internet. He's like, you should just have this because anytime somebody has a question on Facebook, you're always the first person to answer and like research it and make sure it's like a good answer and everything else like that. Um, I've sadly let that domain lapse, but I was like, okay. And then Abby was like, yeah, this is, this is what you should do. And so I went home and I started looking into life coaching programs. And then I remembered the one that Catherine had mentioned at that dinner. And it was from this woman named Martha Beck. And I had just read this book. Um, There's a thing in Canada called the Massey Lectures which is like this government grant for people to give lectures and write short stories, but like not stories, like um, like documentary kind of, my brain is gone, but um, it was this, this book all about um, these cultures around the earth. And one that really stood out to me was actually the Polynesian culture and the Wayfinders and how they moved around. And this coach program was called the Wayfinder Coach Program. And I'm like, okay, so many things are lining up and it started in two weeks. And it didn't start, it didn't go again for another nine months. And so I was just like, okay, it's 10 grand US, which in Canadian dollars is like 7 million. But <laughs> Abby's just like, she's like, go for it. Because at this point in time, ever since I had quit my job, our bank account zero point was still that six month salary. So we had always just said like, that's zero. Everything above that is money that we can spend. So worst case scenario, we're still going to be okay. So it was the first time like we like dipped hard into that savings and did something with it. And I took this program for nine months and I'm like, okay, I could be a life coach. And then got out of the program, had coached 60 or 70 people because you had to coach for free to get your hours up through this program. And so many photographers had come to me and weren't asking me for life advice. They were asking me for business advice. And at first that like, well, not that I gave advice as a coach, but you know what I mean? Um, But 
at first it frustrated me because I'm like, no, that's not what this is about. Like I'm here to help you with your life and help you figure yourself out and like get rid of your shit and everything else like that. But it just kept happening over and over and over again. And then when I finished my program, I knew I wanted to like hang my shingle. And so I hired my own business coach and she just said, look, you, you have the secret sauce here because all of these people want help with their business. And you've run a successful business at that point in time for eight years. Like most photographers are, are striving to hit that six figure mark. And we've been doing it year after year. And she's like, and once you get them in the door, you can help them figure out their own shit with the life coaching stuff. Because the reason why people can't charge enough money is because they don't value themselves and like all of this other stuff. And she's like, you have the tools to help them through that. And so January 2019, I opened Dave Moss Coaching as a business coach for creatives with like the secret hidden sauce of, of life coaching in there. And then here you are. And then here you are. And we met on, on a forum because <laughs> you were having crazy, weird Maui problems. I know. <laughs> and it made me very angry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like you're like the perfect, like you're like a Venn diagram. <laughs> like I, I think very visually sometimes, like. You know, like business coach plus life coach, and then in the intersecting area, there's there's Dave. I think exactly what you're saying too, right? Like people don't know how to value themselves. They don't know how to price themselves. They're willing to give away too much for free. And because of that, you know, their businesses take a hit. They're not making enough mm -hmm. to make ends meet. Uh, they become volume-based photographers because they can't say no. Yeah. 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 Well, and it's crazy how many people I talk to and they don't charge enough because their parents had issues with money and they've carried that their entire lives. Or, you know, they have a spouse who doesn't value them, so then they don't value themselves. And and most people like aren't going to put those pieces together. They're just going to be like, oh, I don't charge enough because uh, my work's not good enough. I'm like, that's never it. There are some terrible photographers out there who charge a ton of money because they're good at business and they believe in themselves. Yep. Yep. That's absolutely right. So then I want to go back to your dad for a half a second. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because I, like, I have a similar dad story here, but I, I, I think it's a similar dad story. You know, he was like, no, you can't be a photographer. You need to be a little more like, pragmatic about this. Go be, go be an engineer. You're like, ah, all right, okay, that makes sense. Uh, when you said to your dad, well, tried the engineer thing, turns out, I can make more money doing this or however it is that you presented it to him. What was his reaction? By that point in time, he was on board because by that point in time, we had been making good money for, for years. It had been Abby's full-time job. We, you know, we had bought a new house with the money from photography. We had paid for our wedding with the money for photography, like all of these things. And he, he was already on, like, like my dad's a really supportive person, but he always just wants his best for his kids. And so once he saw that we were going to be okay with this, then he became the guy that like, so my dad is one of the only people I know that reads the newspaper cover to cover every single day. That's so rare. That's so rare. And, and he would cut out every article that had anything to do with photography. And if we stopped by his house, he would give us these articles. Like he, he was like a full cheerleader at that point in time. He was ready to go. And they were actually guests at a wedding that Abby and I photographed. And they're like, holy shit, you two work really hard. Like mm -hmm. for a while we thought you were just like, you had the easiest job in existence. But it's like once we see, saw you work like a 12 hour wedding and how you never stopped moving and stuff like that. I think because my dad was in the military. Uh, he was in the, in the Royal Navy. And so he really appreciates people who work hard and so i think once he saw that too it was good for him but yeah 
now now he's 100% on board. And whenever I say like now, like I'm like, hey, I'm going to do this. Like when I said I was going to do the coaching thing or whatever, he's just like, I trust you. Like clearly you've got a head on your shoulders that you know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, my dad who like, you know, my dad was born in 49, but he has two older siblings that like one's 13 years older than him. And then the other I think is like 10 years older than him or something like that. Anyway, there's a big gap. and He's the youngest of three. So I feel like he grew up with a very like 1950s mindset. Mm-hmm. So when I told him that I'm, you know, I'm quitting teaching to do this. He was like, what? Why would you do that? Like, that's a steady paycheck. Why? Like, and health insurance, all this stuff. Like, why would you throw away that, um, that stability for something that's unknown? And then he's like, well, you know, you have to, you have to keep re-upping your teaching license in case, (laughs) in case this fails. You, You have to have a fallback. You have to be able to go back. I was like, you know, my degree's not going anywhere. I might have to like retake a test, but my degree's not going anywhere. And, you know, he, he got frustrated with me and just kind of let it go for a few years. But then, you know, after, so I, I only did Angela Nelson photography solo, like by itself for a year. It was 2014. Because in January of 2015, I opened up Engaged on Maui, which is my other company where we help guys and gals plan their proposals. It was just me doing that. And then now I have a staff of four photographers, an in-house editor, a, an office manager. So it's been a really fun venture. But... Once that kind of, once that took off along with my wedding brand, and then, you know, <laughs> we'd go out to dinner and I would treat, my dad was kind of like, mm, okay. And then <laughs> I think, I think it was like 20, 2017. I don't think I was, I don't think I was pregnant quite yet, but I remember very clearly <laughs> he turned to me one day and he said, your grandfather would be really proud of you. And now I, I never met my, my grandpa, Theo, so my dad's dad. I never met him. He died five years before I was born. But I, I do know that he was a pretty savvy businessman. And, like, my dad just never – he always said things like, oh, you'd be the apple of his eye. And my dad says the same phrases like a like a, a toy where you pull the string over and over. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> so he said that to me my whole life, but he never said, like, oh, your grandfather would be really proud of you. And I was like, why? And he's like, well, you're a really good businesswoman. Like it, it went from, are you sure? I'm not, I don't really believe in you to, wow, you did really, like, there's no, there's no transition <laughs> with him. He was like, oh, okay. You proved yourself. Like you can treat me to dinner. Like you can obviously, you're taking care of your family, which was just me and Anthony at the time. But yeah. And then, and now I'm still doing wedding photography, right? I still love that aspect of it, but we're adding in, you know, business as an adventure. And I've kind of tried to explain stuff to my dad and I feel like, oh, my mom was starting over again a little bit. He's like, wait, what yeah. are you? What are you doing? But you're really good at what you're doing right now. Like, why would you? You're investing how much? What? Yeah. <laughs> it's okay, Dad. Remember last time? You trust me? Yeah. Yeah, but you know, you have kids now. Okay. Well, it'll be all right. Make sure you re-up your wedding photography license just in case. You got to go back. <laughs> yeah. Make sure you keep the websites online. <laughs> Where? What was the inception of engaged on maui because i think it's a genius business model and for you to have started it so like early in your photography career usually photographers have ideas like that like 10 years too late yeah you know it a few things first is that i'm first let everybody know what engaged on maui is yeah it's a (laughs) proposal planning and photography company so in we're not gonna talk about 2020 numbers because 
fuck this year. <laughs> but in 2019, we did 200 proposals. So basically, um, guys and gals will reach out to us. They want to propose here on Maui. They don't know where to go, what to do. They suck at romance sometimes. Um, and we hold their hand through the whole thing. We help them pick the perfect location. We tell them, you know, which way to face. Um, you know, we have itineraries and video walkthroughs and we help them be the hero basically. And we have, um, we have a photographer, we call ourselves bush ninjas because we like hide in the bushes. And then when the proposal goes down, we jump out and, you know, take the photos and everything and really just try to, because at the end of the day, I mean, this will ring true for wedding photography just as much as it does, you know, proposal photography, but it's not necessarily the photos and why people are hiring you, right? You can be the best photographer in the world, but if you're, if you don't have the right customer experience or marketing shtick, it's not gonna, nothing will come of it. Mm -hmm. So it's really the experience that we focus on for Engaged on Maui where like, oh my God, let me see the ring. And I've heard so much about you, which is true because they, when they fill out our contact form and they talk to our office manager, we have this whole conversation about, you know, who this person is that they're proposing to and, um, you know, what do they love? You know, if they love sunset at the beach, well, great. This is the package that you should get because this is like, especially for sunset on the beach. Or we had one proposal where when Pokemon Go was really big. And that was their thing. Like they would travel and they would play Pokemon Go. And so we came up with this idea uh, with with the client where I guess Pikachu is really hard to find. I, I don't know because I never played this game. But <laughs> like Pikachu is like that that was like the golden ticket. If you could find a Pikachu for Pokemon Go, that, that was the thing, right? So um, he sent us a stuffed Pikachu that was holding a little letter. And so we were able to plant that at the proposal spot. And they, they went to this spot because he was like, oh, I read on a forum that like maybe we can find a Pikachu there. So it's totally organic for them, natural, because they're playing this Pokemon Go. Yeah, and there's, there's a Pikachu. And she's like, what is this? And then, you know, the proposal went down. It was super sweet. Yeah, so I mean, that's, that's what we do for Engaged on Maui. How, how I came up with this idea was like, first and foremost, I am a sucker for surprises. And anybody who knows me, knows this pretty well. I love to just, you know, I'll show up at my parents' house. Surprise, I'm here. Or, um, you know, like surprise parties, which this is funny because like, I don't care to be surprised. It makes me really uncomfortable when people go out of their way for me. <laughs> but I love doing it to other people. Your Midwest is showing, Angie. Oh my God. Maybe, maybe. But I, I love to surprise um, the people I love in my life. I just, I love to do that. And I found that spark with Engaged on Maui with this planning of proposals. And like, I'm part of this moment where I'm watching somebody's life change right in front of me. And it, it is such a, like, it's like a turnkey moment. Like this is, oh, this is, this is where things, the ball really gets rolling. Wedding, um, maybe a family eventually, uh, you know, buying a house. A lot of people haven't bought a house yet. Like it's, it's kind of the, it's the genesis of this whole new life for them. Yeah, I just fell in love with it really quick and the excitement and uh, the nerves. And for someone who's traveled places before where I had no idea where I was going or what I was doing, to have a local expert, it's like, that's top of the list, right? You got to have someone mm -hmm. who's a local expert. And working with mostly men, something I loved. And I, I didn't anticipate that part of it. I've always had lots of guy friends and, um, you know, gotten along really well with men in general. but like actually being able to coach them through one of the most important moments where they're just like, look, I suck. I suck at proposals and or I suck at romance. 
I mean, like, how do, how do I make this more romantic? And so, you know, we give them all the ideas, we help them come up with something. And then, you know, like they're texting us when they get there. Oh, I'm here. I'm so nervous. We'll get like, some guys will send like 17 text messages before they even get to the beach or wherever it is that they're proposing. They're so nervous. But you know, my, my team is amazing and we help them, you know, quell the nerves. And my office manager is really good at just being like, this is the information you need to know and not giving any more to not overwhelm them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's been a really fun progression because it just started as me. And then, you know, we've added the team members throughout the years and, you know, I'm, I'm really lucky to have the, the gals that I have working for me because they're, they're just as excited about it as I am. And they still get nervous, which I think is so cute. <laughs> Sometimes I get nervous too, because I'm you know, like, what if they face the wrong way? Or, you know, what if mm-hmm. they don't see the message in a bottle when they're walking along the beach? Um, and we've, I got a whole catalog. So that's another, that's another podcast, but I have a whole catalog of stories of crazy stuff that's happened during proposals. <laughs> We will definitely do that one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all the crazy proposal stories. Well, I'd have to, I'd have to get some of my staff in here too, because they, they, you know, the last like two or three years, they've surpassed me in the number of proposals that they've photographed. So mm-hmm. um, they could probably give them more. Uh, we should, we should do that as a panel discussion in the group sometime. <laughs> Just bring the girls in and be like, "All right, it's the craziest thing that's ever happened to you." Yeah. Well, I mean, we could talk about the business because I think there will be a lot of people who would be interested in that business, especially people who are in areas like yours and mine, where we're a destination where where people fly in to 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 get engaged and, and do all of these sorts of things. Like I had never heard of anybody having a business specifically for this until I met you. And I was like, oh, man, that would crush here. Like yeah. it would be such a good business opportunity here. Yeah. Well, you know, people are Googling all the time, you know, best places to propose in, you know, wherever it is Mm -hmm. that they're traveling. Um, I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens with COVID and, you know, folks who are, you know, we just, we just opened up, like Hawaii just opened up. So, you know, I think people are looking for things to celebrate and they're looking to take the next step. I think COVID either made a couple or broke them. Mm -hmm. So um, I'll be really interested to see what the next few months looks like when it comes to proposals and how many people are coming out here and whether or not we get banging busy or people are still going to be cautious with their travel plans. I'm not sure. Yeah. 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 That's That's engaged on Maui there. That's great. And now, <laughs> and now business is an adventure that came out of nowhere, came out of a, a audio text message <laughs> that you sent me, I think after Joss and Tree's workshop. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you were, you know, you, you got um, you got a master class at WPPI. You were already talking about how you're, you're so busy with coaching and you can't take out any more clients. And, you know, whenever you're working off of a, a system where you have a limited amount of time to give people, like, there's kind of a ceiling of how much you can charge for that. Um, I mean, unless you're someone like Tony Robbins or something. <laughs> so you know, once you hit that point, whether or not you're, whether you're a, a, I think a life coach, business coach, or even a photographer, you have to start thinking about other ways to diversify. And I was like, I'm, I'm like, I'm worried about Dave. (laughs) I want you to like, how, how are you going to scale this? Because you're going to have this masterclass at WPPI. Everyone's going to see how awesome you are and what a great, I mean, honestly, what a great helper you are. You're so smart. You don't want to be more busy necessarily. And you want to travel with Abby. So what's that going to look like? And you're like, oh, 
I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had had a couple of ideas and thoughts and everything else like that, but, and, and, and this is like, thank goodness for you. Cause I'm, I'm very good at coming up with a lot of good ideas for other people. And I'm okay with coming up with ideas for myself, but I heard this thing a couple of years ago where it's like a lot of people, you can equate them to, to seasons in the, in the sense that like, you know, springtime people are like good ideas, uh, good at ideas, but not great at starting. Summer people are really good at starting, but maybe not at, at idea. And like, I was always an idea and a starting person, but I suck at finishing. Like I, I've, I, throughout my entire life, I was always like, oh, you know, I'm going to learn how to do a skateboard. And I would do it for like two weeks and be like, mm, I'm never going to be perfect at this. So I'm just going to go do the next thing. And like, I did that throughout my entire life. You know, I played 11 instruments and I did all of this because it's like nothing ever felt like the right thing. And with coaching, it felt like the right thing. And so I was running full bore and I was busy and, and loved it and wanted to be on podcasts and teaching, but I had no idea how to scale this thing. And so when you reached out, I remember just thinking, Oh, well, Angie will help me scale it because you are so good at like taking things and like just having momentum and building plans and spreadsheets and binders and all the rest of that, which is not a skill of mine. And I had been, you know, reading so many business books and talking to so many entrepreneurs. And so like you hear time and time and time again, have a team delegate. You can't be good at everything. You know, like if you do your SWOT analysis, find somebody who fills in your weaknesses and your threat and things like that. And so it was just like, we, we had worked together for, you know, a year helping Angela Nelson photography through the whole Maui thing. And so it's like, I knew what you were good at. And I was just like, oh, well, that makes sense. Whether it's, you know, bringing you on as an associate coach or, you know, eventually growing it into this, this whole new endeavor. Like, I just knew that that was the, the right way to go. And now, like, my wife um, is sort of hitting a similar stride in her business where she's getting busy and running out of time. And she just keeps saying, God, I need an Angie. i got to find an Angie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, you know, I. it's funny that you say that, like, you have a hard time <laughs> finishing because I have a hard time quitting. And that's that's always been – I mean, I, I guess it's a strong suit in some aspects. It's like one of those strength weaknesses thing, right? Like one of my weaknesses is that I I won't quit something even if it is so taxing for me or it doesn't serve me anymore. I mean, like all, I can think of examples of all aspects of my life, but like first and foremost would be when I fell in love with my husband. This is like crazy. I was, you know, I was 14 and he was with somebody else and you know, like we were all part of the same friend group and he kept inviting me out to be like, let's go all go to the movies together. Let's go do this, do that. And I was just, I was so enamored with him. Um, Yes, 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 yes. But then I had to see him with somebody else and I would come home and I would cry every time. And I remember my mom saying to me, you got to stop doing this to yourself. But like, I was just, I was just so bad at giving up on that, which I, you know, I eventually did. And then he came back into my life and I was like, Oh yeah, I never really quit him. <laughs> I never really did, but now's my just, opportunity. Just it down. Yeah, I did suppress those feelings. I mean, you know, there's there's been other things in my life where I just I felt like I had put too much time into it already to walk away, and so I, I got to see it through to the very end until you know, like the universe is screaming in my face, "This does not serve you anymore. Walk away." And I've had a few of those moments um, in the last few years. I think that's also part of like 
getting older is you see those signs yeah. <laughs> sooner. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just, when, when they say with age comes wisdom, I think there's definitely I, some wisdom in that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, you know, I, I'm I'm super happy that you were you want to partner with me. I think that we, we complement each other in a lot of different ways. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I think we'll see that in our business course too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really stoked. Um, like, I think, I think this podcast is going to be good in the sense that we can hopefully help a lot of people with their business and then the Facebook group and the education that we're going to put in there. And then, you know, the, the culmination, you know, 10 months from now when we, release this amazing thing the that birthing. we're putting together. The birthing <laughs> of the course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be a really um, a really fun um, evolution and adventure. And I think that there's a lot of people out there who have stories to share that I think are surprising that a lot of people don't, um, you know, like, we only see like the iceberg metaphor, right? Like you only see mm-hmm. the success and you don't see everything that went into it. You don't see all the failures. And, you know, one question that we've been, you know, we've already recorded some um, <laughs> interviews at this point we can't before we're like, we should probably introduce ourselves. <laughs> you know, just one of the questions that we've been asking is what's one of your favorite failures? And I think that's such an important question, especially because like, I mean, we're talking to someone here that like, I'm just not. I'm not good at failure at all. <laughs> I remember when I sent out that questionnaire a couple of years ago yeah. and, and your answer and that was like, mm, no, I just don't I no. Just don't like it. No. Well, and that's, that's because like when I, when I choose to do something, I'm always very meticulous about what it is that I'm going to do. Mm. And if there's a chance of me possibly failing, I, I usually run away, <laughs> which is why, you know, like if you see me doing something, I've really, really thought about it because I don't, yeah. I don't want to have to face failure head on. <laughs> And I, I'm the exact opposite. I just do everything and I fail forward. Like I, I had to learn to fail forward. Like it used to be devastating for me when I was younger, didn't have a lot of self-confidence and things like that. But now like someone's like, Hey, you want to do this? I'm like, yep, let's go. And then I just do it. And then we fail and then we adjust and then we fail and then we adjust and then it happens and it works. And I just feel like your your meticulousness and my maybe bullheadedness was gonna is it, they they tend to complement one another. It's a it's a nice balance actually because I'm just like I'm uncomfortable because we might fail and you're just like but if we're gonna fail we're gonna fail 100. <laughs> percent I'm like well I do like 100. <laughs> like percent I'm gonna do something. That is the number I'm aiming for. Yeah, yeah, that is that is the good one. Yeah, I remember the only the only thing that I was ever allowed to fail in growing up. Uh, which has nothing to do with my parents or anything. I think it's just it's just me as like how I'm mm-hmm. wired was I played clarinet in our high school band. Guess what chair I was because of who I am. First chair. Obviously, first chair. Although I will say I, I don't think I was the most talented player. There was another gal who was really, really good. But I think they let me have it because I was a senior. <laughs> it's fine. She knows it. I know it. We know it. But the only thing that you could fail at really was like, you know, our band directors are really big on if you're going to make a mistake, make it a big one. Like if you're going to play a note when you're supposed to be resting, like go in full bore because it's better to make a big mistake than to just clam up and not play. Mm-hmm. And when I went to college, you know, I had been playing, I'd been playing clarinet since I was like 10, so it was like, eight, you know, eight years or whatever. And I went to college and I was like, oh shit, like there's nothing I can do here where like I can make a big mistake. Like it's not embraced. They're like, well, at least I made a big mistake. They'd be like, no, and you failed that paper or whatever it was. But, you know, that's that's definitely a skill that I, I need to get 
better at. And then maybe that's a skill that you need to just like, you know, just harness, harness it in a little bit, Dave. <laughs> it makes it. Well, I, I could definitely be better. Makes a good balance. At, yeah, being being a little bit more meticulous about the things that I do. You know, thank God for things like Grammarly and stuff like that. Because for, for years, you know, I would launch a website and it would just be rife with spelling errors and things like that. Because I was always a done is better than perfect kind of person. Thankfully, I married the opposite. Like Abby wants everything to be exactly perfect when she, when she puts stuff out. And so she would often correct my mistakes and, and whatnot. But, you know, I'm I, I'm learning to slow down in that regard. Um, well, you know, ruthlessly pulling you into my mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, though. This is all a learning uh, experience. And um, I, I always feel like if I am uncomfortable with something, it's probably it's probably a good thing. Which I think, yeah, Dave, like you've, 100%. you've seen me more uncomfortable, I think, than like half of my like best friends have seen me really uncomfortable with things. Um, but, you know, if something's uncomfortable, it means I'm like my ideals and things are being challenged. And I think that that's um, that's how that's how you grow. That's how you become better. It's the only way, I think. And you know, I really hope that with this podcast and you know the, the course and everything that we're going to be launching, that you know people are able to use some of it as a mirror to see you know, where they can become better, and you know where where they can find the discomfort in their own lives and make that you know make the changes to get where they need to go with their own businesses. 100%. Yeah. I mean, being a, a creative entrepreneur, most of us are, are, are solos or occasionally pairs, but it's, it's a lonely world. And so just hearing somebody else out there struggling with the same thing that you're struggling with can take so much weight off your shoulders. And so if nothing else, hopefully people just feel a little bit of relief as we go through these, these interviews and these conversations with people. And they're just like, oh, you know, this, like you, like you mentioned with the iceberg, like this person's clearly successful because I see the tip of the iceberg. And then they talk about all the things they struggle with underneath. And they're like, oh, well, if that person can be that successful and struggle with all of those things, then I could be successful. Yeah. Because that's clearly not holding them back. So it doesn't have to hold me back either. Well, and I think the transparency too is really important. Hugely and, important. You know, everyone that we've, we've chatted with, they've been so very transparent with you know, their, their process and, you know, what, what they failed at and what they wish they had known when they mm -hmm. started their businesses, which like, those are always one of my favorite questions. If you could go back and tell yourself, you know, at the, the advent of your photography career, tell yourself one thing, like, what would you tell yourself? What would you tell yourself, Dave? If I had to go back and tell myself something at the beginning of my career, every time you think you want to try something, just do it. Because I I held myself back artistically, not necessarily through our through our business, but I held held myself back artistically through fear a lot as a photographer because I was so afraid of screwing it up. Like I was so I was so I wanted I wanted our clients to have perfect photos instead of having great photos. So I I would hold myself back a lot, and then you know it it took going to foundation workshop. And and we win from fearless to like literally beat that out of me. Yeah. <laughs> I guess figuratively beat that out of me, but um, to to finally get over that fear. But that was six years into our career, and and so 
yeah, I definitely feel like I put a lot of emphasis on the business a lot like you um, in, in my early career. And I think I could have put a little bit more emphasis on the creativity because that was one of the reasons why I got into this. You know, I didn't get into being a photographer so I could learn how to run a CRM efficiently or, or, or things like that. I wanted to create and I was stifling my own creativity. Yeah. What about you? Um, for me, I think it would have been telling myself it's okay to be different early on. I tried so hard to fit in with not just with the images that I was creating, but also with the way I was running my business. And I was letting, especially, I mean, especially in Maui, right? I'm sure we'll talk about this more, but you know, I was letting uh, planners and venues and other photographers that I deemed as successful tell me how to run my business and the things I should and shouldn't be doing. And while I, I, I know that they were trying to be helpful, right? I, I know it wasn't coming out of malice, but at the same time, I think that really played into the, the cycle of just devaluing myself and who I was as an artist and the brand that I represent and mm. what the product that I put out there now is very different from everybody else that's out here. I like, you know, if I'm unavailable for a wedding date, I have a hard time recommending somebody who is in the state because I'm just, I'm just so very different in my market, but I like that. I like to be different. And I've really embraced that. I think early on, I would have, I'd have loved to have a conversation with someone being like, it's so it's okay to be different. Like Hawaii is more than just a pretty photo on a beach or a mountain or a sunset. Like there, there's more to it than that. And you're being lazy. if You're just focusing on that, you know, which is, you know, some people like that's, that's a bread and butter and that's totally cool. But for me, it was, it became, it became really soul sucking. So I had to, I had to dig deeper. That's, yeah. that's what I had to told myself. Yeah. Awesome. Also invest in a, invest in a, um, a books person. Oh yeah. Yeah. Get a bookkeeper five years earlier than you got a bookkeeper. Yeah. Definitely would have been something yeah I if told you're still myself. doing your own books, knock it off. Like, especially, you know, if, yeah. if you're, if you're within, if you hit like the, the second or third year mark, get a bookkeeper. It's get worth bookkeeper. it. Um, you'll it's pay less. It's not that expensive. Yeah. Like it's, it's such a good business expense to have and they will end up saving you money and saving you time and stress. Like I'm going to drop off our quarterly taxes to my bookkeeper today and I am eternally grateful to her because she's just like made our lives so much better. So much better. So much better. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Uh, any last thoughts? I think that's a great place to wrap up. Yeah. Uh, for our, for our little intro here. No, I'm just I'm really excited to get this up and running and get the you know get the train moving for this podcast and we can help more people and reach a larger audience and then of course all the education that we're putting into the, the Facebook group starting mm -hmm. in November. So yeah, twelve day twelve days from from recording of this. Um, and we'll put the in the show notes for this and everything. We'll put in the links to our Facebook group and, and everything else like that. But it's the Business as an Adventure group on Facebook. Uh, and we'd love to see you in there. We're going to be doing lots of free education and, and weekly Q&As for photographers and other things. So come join us and have some fun. And, and if you've got something to say, maybe we'll have you on the podcast too. That would be great. Awesome. All right. Well, we will see you all or hear you all or talk to you all in our next podcast. <laughs>